So welcome back to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners, my name's Dane. And I'm Anthony, and this is episode seven of our Cape Roth Ultra series. On day seven, we went 38 miles from Inknadump to Kinloch Burvey. So welcome back, Cape Roth Ultra, day seven. Nearly there. Nearly there. I woke up, it was mildly moist. <laughs> Not surprising, given uh, how Cape Roth Ultra had been this year. I did what I always do every day. Went for breakfast, mm-hmm. clean my teeth, washed up. Check. Do all these things. Uh, if I haven't said it already, one of the things I would really advise that you have with you is a bag um, to use as your camp bag. And okay. put in it everything you need when you're out of your tent. So my toothbrush was in it, yeah. my uh, plate, knife, fork, spoon, okay. mug, all that sort of stuff. So that once I was out of the tent in the morning, I could do everything and not have to go back to that's my tent. Good, that's a good tip, top tip. The tent you're in isn't necessarily close to the mess tent and that sort of stuff. You could be mess a fair tent, distance away yeah. from that. So I had my breakfast, cleaned up and everything, packed my dry bag, and then took it over to where you drop the dry bags. And every day, if I've not said this already, they ask you for two or three items of the compulsory hill kit. Yeah. So they take your dry bag off you and then say, right, now show me in your bag where you've got this stuff. And I would inevitably take out what became known because it was the same people each day because it was done by alphabet. To, mm-hmm. uh, I saw the same people each day as my big red bag of doom. It was the only dry bag I had left after I'd sectioned up all my kit into dry bags and put it into my big dry bag to go away. I had this one only 40 litre dry bag that I had to try and put a few items in it each yeah. day and then try and fit it into my 12 litre rucksack. And it would never be full up with air and I'd be struggling to pack it in the bag and the, they'd be having hysterics each day, yeah. knowing that I was going to have to open this bag up, pull out three things and then try and repack it back <laughs> into my race vest. So I showed them my items as I did each day, but people were getting strikes on this. After the day two, 65 people of this mm. 270 had received at least one strike. We talked about those in previous episodes. You had three strikes, then you're out of the race. Mm. Had received at least one strike for not having the right kit in their bags. And, and, and these, presumably, were just um, casual errors. I, well, you presume so. You don't know if people are trying to buck the system and not carry everything that you're told to carry. Because you had to carry full set of waterproofs, an extra spare top, yeah. the map a compass, a head torch, yeah, yeah. all sorts of stuff. And they could ask you for anything. Yeah. You can imagine it could be quite easy, though, to, you know, you've got kit in and out bags. You, you know, you've got a weight limit you're trying to keep under. So maybe you're using one piece of item, you know, for for your running kit, but also using it at camp. Well, so yeah. I, it could be yeah. quite easy to, to make an error. Yeah, I purposely didn't do that. Exactly yeah. that. I... Mm. I took spare head torch for the camp. I took different, I had you know, my spare base layer in my bag, never came out. Yeah, yeah. Or if it did, if I took it out because I wanted to use it for some reason in the camp, I'd put something else in the bag immediately. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. if I was, didn't want to use it the next day, yeah. if I forgot, it would be in there. I think that's what I would do as well because otherwise I think I would be constantly worried and then checking and checking and triple checking all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. So I dumped all my kit off and went to run out of camp and realised that it felt like I had a blister on the back of my heel. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I realised, just following on from what we'd said, that I'd accidentally taken out my blister kit the night before, mm. the tape I had in my bag for blisters, checked the stock in it and re-put a few bits of tape in it. But rather than putting it into my running vest, 
I chucked it in the, with the rest of my med kit in my bag. Ah, in your bag. You've now left. Correct. But luckily, I hadn't actually left the camp at this point, I don't right. think. I went back. They gave me. They were good enough to get my bag out of the van. Mm. I unpacked it quickly, got what I needed, taped up the back of my right heel and mm. thought, well, I can't really see a blister, but clearly it's sore. Yes. And off I went. Big climb again on day seven. There's a surprise. And then a descent and then a traverse around a valley where I had one of the most amusing things that's ever happened to me in a race happen. Remember, I said we do a lot of river crossings in this in yep. this race. So I was running through the valley and Wade, who we heard in the last episode talking about Kit, yeah, was filling up his water bottle on the far side of the river. And I can remember thinking to myself, right, I've got to cross downstream of him so that I don't kick up any dirt and sediment into his bottle. So I started crossing and I saw him look at me in a really weird way. And I thought, no, I'm definitely downstream. I'm definitely downstream. It's all right. And I got across the other side and he just looked at me and went, did you not want to use the bridge? <laughs> and literally, I could put my hand out and touch the bridge. And there was a bridge across the river. But I'd become so, you get so focused on just, you could just river crossing, river crossing. And he was there filling up his bottle and I just saw him. And I was so focused. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even see the bridge and just went straight through the river. Classic. I know. I, I, I find I, it was hysterical. And I was, yeah, everyone's soaking wet anyway. It didn't make any difference to my yeah, feet. Yeah. But that bit... After that, there's a big climb and then a traverse round a hill and you're traversing on a fairly steep-sided hill. Mm. was really slow. Mm. And so rather than being able to start the day quickly and then lose some time later, mm. we'd started the day and I'm looking at my watch and I was under the time I needed to be to meet the cutoffs. So yeah. rather, I, I was going too slow. Yeah. And I can remember just how worried I was. Mm. Really, really, really worried. And I'm getting some jip from this sort of blistery thing on my right foot, and it's all not very good. And you think, well, do I start having a conversation with people around me? Yeah. And I can remember looking around me and going, if I get cut, a lot of the field are going to get cut. I'm not, yeah. I'm not any by any means. No, no, it's not back, like... back at the back of the pack here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be cutting half the field, mm. which I would say gave me confidence, but it didn't. I, whether it's just because I was just worried you know, probably mm. was, I should have probably thought, well, they're not going to do that, are they? But half the field did get cut on one of the other Well, ones. yeah, so eventually you get off this hillside and hit a section of fire track again. Right, okay. And all of a sudden, everyone started to run. Mm. And I think now's a good time to listen to Andrew, who I spoke to about his experiences and what he thinks of his experience as a mid-pack runner yeah. in the Cape Roth Ultra. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, Life as a mid-pack runner. Um, I, I think you have to come into the event with some objectives. Uh, and for mine, my mantra was always run the runnable bits. And actually that I really stuck to. So anything flat, even if you're feeling tired or it's boggy, just got to run it. Um, and that really helped just for the time just to stay on my side so there was never any stress with uh, cutoffs. Uh, I always knew I was going to make it barring injuries um, but it was about just pushing as well just to get a time that I'd be happy with and, uh, and that's ended up being the case. And, and I think on the website Shane makes the point that you, you can't just walk this race if you try and just walk the race you won't get round and I think you're absolutely right that's what, it's, that's what yeah. I learned this week was when, it, when you can run it 
you got it right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you're a really good walker and you'd have to be way better than me, I guess. Um, I mean, there's a guy here called Henry. Yes. Uh, I think he's run a bit, but um, he's and done Nathan, a, I don't know if you saw him. He's, yeah. he's been polling every day. Um, so good luck to them. I mean, I found out my weaknesses, and what was really interesting is seeing the different nationalities and the different pros and cons. So the Europeans on the high, those steep stuff were really good. Um, and the reason I've got an Achilles injury is because I wasn't getting my heel down enough. And, and watching them, I, I realised on the job what I was doing wrong. So uh, that was that was good to learn that. Um, so if I ever did do it again, I'd kind of have some ideas to improve things. Would you do it again? That's a million dollar question. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I would. I mean, we had a tough time with camp life with the, the, the rain, um, but I might leave it a year or two. <laughs> so look, that was Andrew and, you know, he echoed, I guess, what I said earlier on in the episodes that you've got to run when you can run. Yeah. And that was one of those times when we hit that fire track, but more than ever, because we were behind time where everyone started running. And there were some cows and horses in the middle of the track. Uh, people were trying to get around these cows without disturbing them, and the cows started running. And anyway, it, it was fine. And actually, the first checkpoint, whilst I'd noted all the checkpoints on my phone and hadn't written whether they were advisory mm. or compulsory, mm. the first checkpoint was actually only an advisory checkpoint. Mm. So it wouldn't actually have mattered yeah, yeah. if we'd got there short. And so I got through that and then started up the hill. And what I'd then done wrong was I'd written down the wrong distance to the next checkpoint. And I was really, really worried about how long it was going to take me yeah. to get to the next checkpoint. And again, another big climb. And it's the only time in the whole race that you actually go over a peak mm-hmm. rather than just a, okay, a ridge. You're going over a saddle or something. Yeah, you know, we actually got to a peak with a cairn on the top and, and yeah. everything. And you could see absolutely miles. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, tens of miles yeah and you could see the sea it was the first time i think we could actually see yeah the sea and of course it finishes at the sea yeah yeah and you're like that's the end yeah yeah it's there i can see it i can see it i, I know it's it. there and i was running down the big hill from there and my ankle was giving me jib and so i retaped it for the second or third time that day when i'd done it i still couldn't see any blister nothing going wrong and it's just really bothering me climbed up the next climb and then there was the run down to what i thought was going to be the checkpoint but I couldn't reconcile where I was in my head with how far I had to go. Yeah. The reason for that clearly that I'd got my distances wrong. Right. And so we got to the next checkpoint in loads of time. Yeah. Relatively. Uh, they even had some food there. It was the first checkpoint I'd got to in the whole race where they'd had food. And it was food that had been left by runners that dropped out of the race. Okay. Who'd left it with the race organizer and said, if uh, anyone wants... On earlier days. On earlier days. Yeah. If anyone wants these bags of nuts and things, and the, one of the race crew had just brought it out to the checkpoint they were manning and just yeah. laid it out and went, if anyone wants it, take yeah. it. Which was nice only because variety is always good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I can't remember, I don't think I had anything there, but there was lots of different stuff that, than the stuff I was used to. So how long, how far had you got the distance wrong then? About, I think it was about five or six K. I mean, it was a, yeah. Considerable. Yeah, it would have been a proper That's hour's worth hour, of running, yeah. yeah. And that was why I was so worried. But then I started off after that onto a, fire track again it'd been quite a lot of fire track running that day and my heel really started giving me chip again so i stopped and retaped it so that was i think time four mm-hmm. ran up this fire track and i'm thinking if it's like this at the end this could be a glorious end today we've only got about 10 kilometers to go or whatever it was mm. and literally as i thought that i saw people angling off the track yeah. 
onto what was probably the boggiest section of the race that we went through. And it was just horrid and you were tired and my heel had started aching again. So I stopped and retaped it again. But the the terrain was so bad, people were actually laughing. It was that bad. There was a bit I can remember, we were alongside a little lock and you had to literally hold onto the side of a cliff and inch your way along. And we were like, if we fall in here, what are we going to do? <laughs> it was sort of a two or three metre fall into the water. And then you'd yeah. have to swim. Yeah. There was no way you were getting out. And there's people going, we, this can't be right. Well, we're on the GPS track. Well, the GPS track can't be right. There must mm. be another path. And then there's some people further up this hill bit going, there's nothing here. We're climbing through brambles. God. Just horrid. And then I bumped into a runner called Anna. She was clearly a really good runner and sort of hooked up running together mm-hmm. for a little bit. And we were sort of pushing each other on when one slackened off the other one. You could see, yeah, I'm going, she's getting a bit ahead. I'll keep up with her. And then we crossed this river. Yeah. And I suddenly found myself running on my own. And I turned around and she just dropped back about 30 metres. And I remember just going, come on, Anna! And in possibly a slightly harsh voice. Doesn't sound like you. Well, I know, I know, I know, yeah. And you've said it to me before, you know. Other methods of motivation are available to you, Anthony. Yes. And I, I didn't mean it to sound harsh, but as soon as I did it, I thought, well, that was a bit harsh. But to be fair, she sort of went, oh, and doubled up behind me. Mm. And after the race, she said it was exactly what she'd needed at that point, just effectively yeah. a metaphorical kick up the backside to mm. just get going. And it was really good. We just chatted about all sorts of stuff. And I found that that time actually flew chatting to that's people. That's the best thing for making time go. If you get some good conversations going. As long as you can keep the pace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, and, and then before you know it, you can eat up a couple of hours. Yeah. And it was really good. And then we got to what was the last checkpoint for the day, which before what is a five or six K road section. And there was a table. Yeah. And earlier on the day, we'd seen Ian Stewart, who was the winner of the 2021 Kate Roth Ultra, and he was out with his dog having a bit of a run. He'd gone to this last checkpoint and laid out an impromptu aid station. Nice. Well, yeah, apart from the fact that you weren't allowed, you had to carry all your food on this course. You know, that was the rule, or buy it. And I can remember Anna and I both reaching for it and then stopping and turning around to the checkpoint organiser and going, are we allowed to eat this? You know, yeah. is it a trick? Because Shane said we can't have anything, yeah. the race organiser. And, and Ian just went, well, no one's going to tell Shane. I, mean, <laughs> I looked at Blakey, it's fine, crack on. And I had a packet of cheese and onion crisps and it was one of the most amazing things <laughs> I've eaten in my life. It was just different than all the food I'd had. It was salty and lovely and then I had half a banana and I think Anna ate literally half a pack of hobnobs or something and and then we yeah. pegged it down the road. Because normally in in some races, impromptu aid stations are okay as long as they're available to everyone. Yeah, and that was going that's, to be there for everyone, clearly. Was, okay, so well, and if it wasn't, it, it could be available for the back of the pack runners who really needed it yeah, rather yeah. than just the front yeah. of the pack runners. But then you started down this road section and Anna just went. She clearly got a bit between her teeth. Yeah. just started running. And I started running and went, nah, I can't run. Yeah. And I looked at the watch and thought, right, I know this is a road section all the way to the end now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pole it. And I'll be there well before cutoff. Yeah. And it's fine. There was another runner who went hobbling past me and he'd outrageous shim splints. Yeah. And he was trying to run down the middle of the road. I'm shout- I shouted after him, mate, get on the side of the road. You're going to get run over. And he just turned around and unleashed the biggest load of obscenities back at me, you've ever- <laughs> which basically went on the lines of, my legs hurt. I all just don't. I almost don't care if I get run over. Yeah. But the camber of the road is so bad. I can't run on a. Cam- yeah, I've got to run in the middle of yeah, it where it's yeah, not cambered. Yeah, yeah. shin splints can bloody yeah. Oh yeah. Well, of course, and I got a bit of shin splints, 
which hadn't really affected me that much that day because I think because the heel had worried me more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. But they were definitely there and getting worse. And on this road bit, I was feeling it and all sorts of mm. other stuff. Mm. But you knew it was there then. And it was the one point, I think, in the race where I could start to feel the emotion building up in me. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, I knew I, in my head I'd done yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in my yeah. head, I wasn't worried about the next day. And mm. having got to the road and knowing I was going to make yeah. it. And I can remember thinking, oh, don't cry. Don't yeah, cry. Yeah. There's always that bit in a race, isn't there, where you get, you kind of, unless you're really pushed against time limits, where you kind of, I've got this in the bag. Yeah, and I think that was when I thought that's yeah, it. Yeah, and that's when I get emotional, is when you know you've kind of, you've got it and it's going to happen for you. Yeah. Um, never at the finish line, it's always in that bit, wherever it was, you know, half a day or a couple of hours beforehand. Yeah, so we got to the finish. End of day seven, people, there are showers. <laughs> it's a school, there are proper showers, or school showers, which feel amazing. Don't do what I did and pack a wet towel away in your bag each day because my towel stank so bad I couldn't use it. I just had to rub myself down with the rest of my clothes. Try and keep a dry towel for days, end of day seven because you will really, really be happy with yourself. And then, But it was quite late. Again, I think it was half eight, nine o'clock, half past nine by the time I'd finished doing everything. Got some food down. I remember coming out as I think the last person came to camp just before 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And it was literally everyone gathered around him to try and get him sorted because he was in absolute tatters Mm -hmm. ready for the next day which would have a slight twist to it in the way that they were going to organize it but we can talk about that in the next episode runners on trail